Has someone ever told you, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life? It's a classic hallmark of high school guidance counselors, graduation speeches, and career advisors. And like all cliches, there's a reason it sticks around. Most of us easily recognize some truth in it. Work, on this view, is not fun. Whether mental or physical, it's doing something we don't enjoy to achieve some outcome that probably wouldn't happen apart from our effort. And we might also feel indifferent or even loathing toward that outcome itself. On the other hand, if we spend the same amount or perhaps even more energy doing something we enjoy or striving toward a goal that is highly desirable to us, the effort won't feel like work at all. I think there's much to be said about redeeming our image of work, pointing out that work is central to what God created us for in the beginning, that it is what he himself spent the first six days of creation doing, that it is a good thing, and we shouldn't let it develop such a bad reputation. But I want to leave our negative view of work intact for this sermon, because I think St. Paul is presupposing that view in our reading from Galatians as he sets up this contrast between life in the flesh and life in the spirit. As you'll recall, we heard two opposing lists of vices and virtues in our text. The works of the flesh are fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, before we go any further, I want to point out that St. Paul's use of flesh and spirit here is not meant to oppose the material, physical world of nature and bodies against the intellectual or spiritual world of disembodied, non-physical reality. Just take a look at that list of vices again. Only fornication, drunkenness, possibly carousing, require a body to do. That's only three out of 15. Flesh and spirit here are a shorthand for something else. I think St. Paul is using them to contrast death and life. But we'll talk more about that in a minute. First, let's notice the words St. Paul uses to describe each list. The list of vices is described as work. The list of virtues, on the other hand, is described as fruit. Work versus fruit. I think this is significant. Work, as we were saying, is an expenditure of effort to accomplish something that probably wouldn't otherwise happen. As I often quip, that lawn's not going to mow itself. But fruit is the result of something different. It's not that zero effort is involved. It's rather that the effort is a participation in something that precedes it and is already underway. It is a participation in life itself not an imposition on reality by sheer force of will. Fruit is the result of a process 
whereby the plant actively cooperates with the life within it to become more fully what it is. We could almost say that the seed or the sapling actively desires its growth into the tree that it is becoming. One day laden with the fruit that will burst forth with seed as it hits the ground and begins the cycle again. Think of the grass and the shrubs in the morning after a night of rain. Everything seems to stand just a little taller, as if, having been nourished, all the flora of the field now strain to reach out toward the sun. This is what St. Paul says life in the spirit is like. You begin to produce the fruit of the spirit not by trying really hard to make something happen that doesn't come naturally. You do it by letting the spirit grow and mature you into what you truly are. The fruit comes naturally as we live by the spirit and are guided by the spirit as St. Paul says at the conclusion of our reading. And here, I think, we can make more sense of the flesh and spirit language, too. This metaphor of fruit brings us into the range of meaning that the word spirit carries in Greek and Hebrew. Spirit is the word for breath, and it connotes life. Flesh, on the other hand, is all you have left when the breath of life is gone a body no longer enlivened, no longer animated by spirit, is non-living flesh. It is dead. To drive home the point, St. Paul reminds us, or reminds the Galatians in verse 24, that those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. To now rekindle those desires and passions would be to try and put something dead to work. That is why the works of the flesh can only be described as work. Every activity in the list of vices involves an assertion of the will to achieve some self-serving end. None of them is the natural outcome of a process of growth. They may be so familiar to us, so pervasive, that we think of them as quite natural to the human species. But not one takes place without the deliberate act of a self-serving will, whether it be for pleasure, control, retribution, self-satisfaction, or simply for power over another. Sin is always work. And it is so because it is, by definition, striving against the grain of reality. It is trying to perpetuate something that has no life in it. Virtue, or holiness, on the other hand, is the fruit of participating and growing in life itself. It is what comes naturally of life in the spirit. In a few moments, we will witness the miracle of a new birth into the life of the spirit. Peter Ray will be baptized into the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. The lifeless works of the flesh will be put to death in him, and he will be raised to new life by the Spirit of God and welcomed into the fellowship with all of us as fellow members of the body of Christ. 
we who witness this miracle will make a vow to do all in our power to support Peter in his new life in Christ. A big part of how we will keep that vow is to continue ourselves in the life of the Spirit. Every day we are confronted with opportunities, big and small, to say yes to what the Spirit is doing in us, to participate with the Spirit in producing the fruit he is growing each of us to bear in our lives and in the life of the church. This is what being guided by the Spirit is all about. And our gospel text confronts us with a challenge in this task. It's one thing to be told we should avoid the list of vices we find in the epistle to the Galatians. It's quite another to be told that the fifth commandment, to honor your father and your mother, isn't worth your time, at least not when the Savior calls. But that's how it must have sounded to those who expressed their desire to follow Jesus in this morning's reading. Lord, first let me go and bury my father, says one, to which Jesus replies, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And when another says, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home, Jesus responds bluntly, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. What are we to make of this? How are we to model fidelity here for the newly baptized among us, for little Peter Ray? One of the hard truths we must all confront at some point in the Christian life is that we are not always called to do the good we want to pursue or to do all the right and noble things we think we have to do. As I often remind my children, you can't have all the fun. Doing one thing often means not doing something else. We have to choose one and let go of the other. It may well be that what God calls us to will mean letting go of other good things we might have done. This is especially hard because unlike a vice, these will not be things everyone is called to give up. It might be a dream, a strong desire for something good, a sense of obligation we want to fulfill, and it will likely be something we have to watch others in our life pursue and achieve. But for us, the Spirit's call is to something else. I suspect each of us has heard this kind of call in one way or another. If you haven't, you can be sure it will come. This, I think, is where we must live into the subtle wisdom of our collect for this morning. Put away from us all hurtful things and give us those things that are profitable for us. The subtle wisdom here is in the request itself. We do not presume to know what is hurtful and what is profitable. But we do know that it's not always a matter of obvious vice versus obvious virtue. Sometimes what is being put away from us isn't obviously hurtful. And what is being given us isn't obviously profitable. So we ask 
for God's help. And I might be so bold as to add a line to the collect. Give us grace, O Lord, to trust you and to accept what you give when you answer this prayer. We are not told how the people in our gospel reading responded to Jesus. But we know that we do not always say yes to these difficult calls. We often try to negotiate, or we actively resist for a time, dragging our feet or just saying no. But when we come to our senses, we turn and repent, and we find that the one who called us once is calling us still. We can still say yes to the life he is drawing us into, no matter how violently we have resisted him before. We can resume the process of becoming who we truly are and bear the fruit of his spirit within us. This is the Christian life. And as we continue to grow in that life, we may find, as we look back, parts of it anyway don't feel like work at all anymore. So then, as we live by the Spirit, let us continue to heed his call and be guided by the Spirit. Amen.